0: going, everybody? Aloha and welcome to the season premiere of Hawaii Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me shortly will be former University of Hawaii player and coach, 11-year NFL veteran Rich Miano, and former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman 2016 Ben Yi Award winner, R.J. Hollis as every Monday morning will help provide the state of the state's football team here in the 2023 season, which of course will get underway this Saturday as head coach, Timmy Chang enters his second season at the helm of his alma mater on the road at Vanderbilt of the S E C kickoff is set for 1 30 PM Hawaii time, and it will be televised on the S E C network. Now, obviously there is lots to get to, but before you hear from us, Let's hear from Timmy Chang, who certainly remains focused on the task at hand. But like many of us, thoughts and aloha remain with the people affected by the deadly wildfires that ravaged through the historic town of Lahaina. More than 100 confirmed to have lost their lives, with over a thousand still missing recently. His UH football team, which features wide receiver Carson Pupunu, a Lahaina native who lost his auntie, uncle, and cousins in the tragedy, helped raise money and donations in assistance of Maui relief efforts that took place a couple of weeks ago at the University of Hawaii's green and white scrimmage at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex, which proves that it's not just talk when the program relays the message that this is a team that doesn't just represent the University of Hawaii, the entire state of Hawaii,
1: yeah, you know what what's what's happened what's happened in, into our beloved beloved island Maui and our and our and our brothers and sisters and our family out there and our friends um, very tragic uh, and so what what we were just a small part of what you know the bigger community state, you know um, the country, a lot of people um, pouring in support. Um, and, and we were just a small part, but, you know, we, we wanted to do, we wanted to be a part. We wanted, you know, we wanted to know Maui that we're thinking about them. We love them. We have players, we have coaches, we have, we're one degree away of family members and friends over there. So, um, we felt you know, it was a different week. We kind of, I, I felt, you know, we had to handle business and, and come out here and, and, and we walked through these, these, these the gates, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on our football for two to three hours, but uh, it's a different feeling. You know, it was a different feeling. and. Uh, I'm in an eerie one, but you know, I, I felt like I felt like the state really, really came together and tried to help and we try to do our part too at the university.
0: Now I want to bring into the show Rich and RJ. And of course, we send all of our aloha to all of those affected by the deadliest natural disaster in state history, along with the many that are doing what they can to assist, whether it is by donating money, time, or resources certainly it will be a long road to recovery and hopefully things like university of Hawaii football. And of course this Hawaii football final podcast will play a part in providing just moments of escape for all of those involved, knowing that what has happened though, or what is happening will never be ignored guys. I know it is a tough transition, but sports plays a very important role in the community. And it feels like this rainbow warrior football season it can mean a lot more than just playing games on the field. Right, guys? Rich, I'm going to let you start. Yeah, no
2: question, Rob. You know, when the University of Hawaii football, I've always said, plays well. It's from Hilo to Honolulu and everybody in between. And, you know, that whole Lahaina community, when you look at the neighbor island football teams, I'm not sure there's been a more dominant team in the last – decade or so than the Lahaina Luna Lunas those guys are so legitimate they have great sports programs they have a great community and uh yeah that will be you know hopefully a little bit uplifting but the thing that I think makes us all feel good is this is not a a disaster apocalyptic apocalyptic catastrophe that's going to be people are going to just like forget about in a week or two Hawaii people are going to be there for each other for the not only the whole football season for for however long this takes and you no know, much love goes out to the people of Maui.
3: Uh yeah, Rob, it's it's absolutely um heartbreaking just knowing what the people of Maui are going through. Uh, I covered a Nana Coolie game earlier this weekend uh their first game they were actually scheduled to play Maui and it got uh canceled due to the fires and Nana Coolie immediately got to the donating effort, and I kind of spoke on this in my broadcast, but, you know, the state of Hawaii and the people of Hawaii, the community thrives and goes above all. Football is king, no mistake about it. The high school football games are as live as they come, and when Hawaii's doing good, there's not too many more places you would rather play college football. But in a time of tragedy, in a time of need, the people of Hawaii, the state of Hawaii, the citizens of Hawaii will come together better than most communities you will be in and it's actually an honor just to have lived and been in a place where the community is so tight and it is showing in the efforts that are going to help all of those affected by the fires of Maui. Um, I think the sports will definitely help with an escape but I do feel that this community this state and its people will do a lot more than just win games to help they're going to send they're going to donate they're going to give their time they're going to give their energy to help the people and i believe that's just the beauty of the community of the people and the state of hawaii
0: guys i couldn't agree with you more absolutely beautifully put and well put and of course for continuing coverage of the maui wildfires along with countless resources for those in need along with ways that you can help be sure to stay with KHON2 on air and online. And once again, we send all of our aloha to all of those affected by this tragedy. Now, again, this is the Hawaii Football Final Podcast, and it is game week for the Rainbow Warriors, a highly anticipated game week. We've been waiting a long time to finally see this team in action here for the 2023 season. It will take place on Saturday at Vanderbilt and coming off of a 3-10 and season for the Rainbow Warriors everyone understood that it's not an overnight fix to get this program back in the championship contention, but you got to start somewhere and it starts in the off season. It was a long one for the University of Hawaii who held a early spring training, right? And then you had a, a much longer off season, quote unquote, and then into training camp here, which recently wrapped up. And it was all about recruiting, recruiting, recruiting as the headliner in that offseason for the Green H Top of Trim. As they continue to rebuild the bridge of the community, I think that has been something that a lot of people have been waiting to see uh, where beyond the X's and O's, beyond the roster, it's how can this team once again become the community's team and have that relationship with the people of Hawaii. And I definitely think that we've seen that here over the first two years of the Timmy Chang era. But with all of that being said, each week here on the Hawaii Football Final Podcast, we always ask what your biggest takeaway was from that previous game. And so we'll start things off by asking this question. What was your biggest takeaway from this University of Hawaii offseason as UH gets ready to get this season going on Saturday? Rich?
2: I'm going to go with uh, just obviously – the, the bringing back of the run and shoot. And when I say that, you know, we've heard that term, you know, it's been around, it's kind of a, uh, a mainstay in the state of Hawaii. But when you go to practice, and I've been to many, when you go to scrimmages, Timmy Chang's involvement in this offense, he has literally taken over this offense. Now you'll see Jared Ursua, you'll see uh, Shoemaker, you'll see um, – um, Kiki Misapeka, you'll see these guys involved in the coaching of the seven on sevens or the one on ones, whatever else. But make no mistake about it, Timmy Chang has come back to install this. He is very active for a head coach, and then bringing in Dan Morrison, smooth, smooth, coming all the way from Dallas, Texas, spending a few weeks here, and then in the offseason, spending time with Braden Shager as well as Tylen Hines. You know, and then you hear about Uh, Roman Sapolu going to visit Dennis McKnight. And when you talk to these coaches and stuff, these guys are students of the game. They're young coaches. They're enthusiastic. They're trying to get the details of this run and shoot. And it may take some time, but I think it's an exciting time in the campus of Manoa that the run and shoot is finally back.
0: Yeah, and you know, you bring up Dennis McKnight. You bring up Dan Morrison. I mean, these are coaches that, you know, that they have never run the run and shoot, right? The guys that are at the University of Hawaii, whether it's Ursula, whether it's Roman Sapolu, and they are getting coached up before they coach it up. And I think that goes a long way, and you have to remember that this isn't the first time that this has been attempted, right? The, the, of course, you had the run and shoot, the the initial era with June Jones, and then it was able to make a smooth transition with the staff that you were included on, Rich Miano, in and. Eight, as Greg McMackin took over and you had Nick Rolovich and Ron Lee still staying with the program and you are able to kind of just continue things. But then when Nick Rolovich made that move between 2017 and 2018, he brought Dan Morrison in. You saw former players that ran the run and shoot in at training camp at that time. I remember Colt Brennan, the late Colt Brennan being at practice for those training camps, trying to help these players evolve into what they need to be in order to run the run and shoot successfully. So I I definitely think that that is a headliner as far as what has been done in the off season is not just the X's and O's is not just the players, but it's the coaches being coached up in order to run this run and shoot offense.
3: Yeah, Robin, for me, it's definitely going to be just, you know, um, Timmy Chang's awareness that work needed to be done last year when he came in, he was very uh, outgoing. There was a lot of things that he wanted to do as far as bringing on fans and entertaining the fans. But I think once he cut that spring practice short so that they could get more time to develop, I think he showed right then and there, Hey, we're not playing this year. We're still in a rebuild, but we are trying to get as much done and could inflict as much damage as we can once the season gets here. You had transfers come in like Gualpe Hopa, Stephen McBride, another good wide receiver, Josh Atkins, who is right now fighting and kind of almost in the number one position for that left tackle spot coming from Houston. So you had your transfers, you had your early work, you brought in additional coaches. There's been, you know, construction at T.C. Ching. So even though, you know, this would very much be considered a second rebuilding year You lost 53 players as you're coming in. A lot of them starters, a lot of them committing damage right now in the Mount West that you'll have to play in, including Shevin Cordero, Cam Lockridge, so on and so forth. But I think Timmy Chang, when he cut that spring practice short, showed, Hey, now we are here to work and we're going to take every second that we can to get better. And for me, that was a big takeaway. And I think that it's going to pay dividends as they start to get into this run and shoot, which is kind of like a living playbook in and of itself. Hence why it takes so much for them to learn it and actually be able to execute
0: it. Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at the University of Hawaii football team, as you mentioned, it's a team that lost a lot from the 2021 going into the 2022 season. They had to almost play that season with duct tape and super glue and like, Hey, we got to put this guy at this place. We got to play this person that was a fourth stringer the year prior and and getting a start on opening day and all these things. And, and now uh, the, the one thing that stands out from watching this team practice is that now whether or not that equates to wins wins, we don't know Whether you know, how, how big of a difference does it make on a scoreboard? We don't know. But this is a team that looks like it has grown into itself. This is a team that has pieces as far as players that are supposed to be playing this position was brought in to play this position. And that's the position that they're playing. There are players that came to play for Timmy Chang and came to take part in the run and shoot offense, as opposed to being on the roster when there's a coaching change and having to, adjust on the fly to different coaching styles and all that. So uh, I I definitely think that that you make a good point there, RJ, with the, the growth of this team from one year to the next, but then we have to see how much does that translate to victories at the end of the day. And it's definitely not an easy schedule when you look at the Rainbow Warriors. Now, certainly in week zero or week one, whatever you want to call it, question marks are plenty when it comes to a football team. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. And once this game is played between the University of Hawaii and Vanderbilt, there are going to be instant questions that are answered one way or the other. And so, RJ, I want to ask you first, from the offensive side of the ball, what is the biggest question mark that you are waiting to see get answered in this game against Vanderbilt?
3: Uh, I think simply it's going to be just the pressure of filling the shoes of those offensive tackles. Um, when you're getting into the run and shoot, there's going to be a lot of drop back. There's going to be a lot of passes. Braden Shager is growing into his own, but no matter how good you are as a quarterback, you need that book in protection. Losing Austin Hopp was one thing. Losing L. Manning. This this is an interesting fact. Since 2016, the University of Hawaii's had two Left tackles. Dejon Allen, who's a current CFL All-Star, playing for the Toronto Argos, 7-1, 8-1, something like that. And then Manning, whom, if you were watching some of the preseasons, has had quite some performances showing his skill set at the left tackle position. So it wasn't like you just had two whodunits at left tackle. You had two solidified bookends, which whoever the next left tackle is the next right tackle is you have to take pride in stepping up and continuing that legacy of, you know, really good tackles on both sides of the ball. Deshaun Allen had a good right tackle next to him. Uh, Gene Pryor was a good right tackle. So there's been a lot of good tackles. And I think when you get into this run and shoot, which is going to require so much drop back, so much growth, so much learning from the receiving core and from the quarterback, those guys up front are going to have to step up and fill the shoes of an ill manning, Austin Hopp, Micah Vanterpool, so on and so forth. So to me, you know, might be a little bit obvious because I used to play offensive line. But my question is definitely going to be about the big dogs up front.
0: Not only used to play offensive line, but I like the way you put that Dejan played next to a pretty good uh, right tackle in his own part. You've been hanging out with Rich Miano, man.
1: (laughs) Hey, hey,
3: you know what? Sometimes You know what? It was funny because one time Nady Lauer asked me who recruited me. He was trying to play with me. You know Nady Lauer. You know how he get down. But then I was like, hey, Tony Tuioti recruited me. And he was like, oh, for real? I was like, yeah. You understand? So, you know, maybe not know All-American, but I got my tape if anybody want to go. I, I, I was pretty good in my day, you know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> all right, so R.J. Hey, hey,
3: Rob,
2: hey, Rob, where's all R.J.'s trophies and medals and plaques and stuff behind him? Because he's
0: blowing that doo-doo-doo-doo,
2: <laughs> that horn.
0: Hey, I like uh, RJ goes with the tackle position. So I'm assuming Rich Miano, your biggest question mark when we get to the defensive side of the ball is hey, who's going to be that safety that lives in the footsteps of yours truly, right? So we'll, we'll see what happens. You're going to have to stay tuned to see what the defensive answer is for Rich Miano. But uh, but Rich, on the offensive side of the ball, what are you kind of looking at? What, what What's the question marks that's floating in your head as far as what you want to see come week zero against Vanderbilt?
2: Yeah, but I'll tell you what, R.J. did a good job, man, because I was going to say the offensive line, six-man protection. I was going to say the loss of the tackles. And then, of course, Michael Vanderpool, who's playing so well in the NFL, he mentioned Il Manning. So they got some big shoes to fill. But I think, I think R.J. just broke it down better than uh, Brian Balding or Baldy's breakdown. So I'm going to go away from the offensive line, but that is the biggest question. But I'm going to go to the quarterback, and I think that is the most important question is what is – how does he elevate his game? He still has some hesitation because physically he's gotten bigger and stronger. His ball is tighter than everybody else's. He has some accuracy. He has the toughness. He has some intangibles, but there's still a little delay. And there's a delay because you need reps in the run and shoot. June Jones will get more reps on Friday than most people would get on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So you got to continue to rep this offense. They've got a tough schedule about early and often they're playing two pack 12 teams and a, well, whatever you want to call it now, Pac-4 teams, and a SEC team. And you know what? It's how quickly Braden Shea can get up to speed with those receivers who are young, who are going to make some mistakes, but they're very athletic. And then you go to the running back, and not to cover every position, but, you know, Tyler Hines, whether he's in the slot or playing in the backfield, and um, there's some other couple of running backs, but who is going to be that guy? I like the fact that they move, Mike, over, excuse me, they move Solo Vaipulu to that running back, kind of a Reagan, Mao, EO, West, Khalid, Kipi type of deal. But there's questions on this offense, Rob, much more so than on this defense.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, uh, it's interesting how you guys covered all of those positions. And, uh, and truly, my biggest question, Mark, is at the receiver spot. Because when you look at the run and shoot, and how it was run in 2018 in the recreation of the run and shoot under Nick Rolovich is that they would not have been able to enjoy the success that they did in the 18 and 19 seasons if it wasn't for JoJo Ward, Cedric Bird, Jason Matthew Sharsh. I mean, they had so many receivers that were elite contributors to move the chain. I mean, yeah, everyone thinks of the run and shoot and you think of the big play. You think of, you know, in the third quarter when that 65-yard touchdown happens because the defense is so out of their mind by that time trying to slow down this offense that gives you a different look on every play and a, and a look that you've already seen provides a different outcome as far as what this receiver runs because of the principles of the run and shoot. But it's the moving of the chains on second down. It's getting a clutch catch on third and four uh, to move the chains and allow you to con- continue this drive. And, and so when I look at this, University of Hawaii offense, okay, who are that? Who are those receivers going to be? Chucky Hines, Stephen McBride, Kuala Nishigai are guys that a lot of people are looking at. Alex Perry has the size. You have a handful of other players that have shown in practice that they can contribute, even a Carson Pupunu, uh, who, who was able to have a solid training camp. But the question is, can they do it consistently, right? And in the run and shoot, when you're throwing the ball as much as you are, you have to be consistent more than anything, right? You can have a big catch once in a while, but, you know, when you're running the run and shoot and and, and and a quarterback is going to you time and time again, you have to be able to bring that ball in every single time. And that's what the greats of this program were able to do. Devon Best, Ryan Grice Mullins, Greg Salas, Kaloha Polaris, the list goes on and on. So to me, it's, Yes, Braden Shager only goes as far as the offensive line protects him. Uh, but with that being said, he can only throw the ball. So even if the offensive line does their job, he's got to throw that ball and trust that whoever he's throwing to will catch it. And that's why I think Kuala Nishagai will play a very important role on this team early. My biggest concern about Braden Shager's ability to run the run and shoot is, is he going to be okay Taking his medicine right and that's something that we saw colt brennan do cole mcdonald do even chevin cordero is that understanding that yes you dig it when you throw the ball far you have to rock it up for an arm and everyone wants to see these big touchdowns but sometimes you got to throw it four yards sometimes you got to throw it three yards and i think in previous offenses for shager That's where he struggled. He he might have an opportunity. He might have a check down. He might have a running back in the flat, but didn't always want to take it because he wanted more. With this offense, you have to take what the defense gives you and be okay with that. So... We'll see what happens here with this University of Hawaii offense. But definitely all of those questions will be answered in in week zero or week one, whatever you want to call it, against the Vanderbilt Commodores. Again, kickoff is on Saturday, 1.30 p.m. Hawaii time. It will be televised on the SEC network. But we can't talk about the offense without talking about the defense. Rich Miano, you're the defensive expert here in the group. And so uh, your biggest question mark on the defensive side of the ball for the University of Hawaii football team. Yeah, and I'm
2: going to start where, you know, the third level was solidified. That's the safety level last year. I feel real strong about these corners. There's a plethora of corners that can really play. I love the fact that Isaiah Tufunga had lost some weight. I'm going with the D-line. I'm going that D-line, you know, there's a saying in football, the best pass defense is a pass rush. And again, I haven't seen a great defensive end around here in many, 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 many years, and we still may not see that defensive end this year. But I do think uh, Jonah by Welch, is, along with Andrew Choi, have gotten a lot better. They have better motors. They have a better understanding. But it's John Tui Patel. It, it's the inside push. It's the D tackles. If he's eligible, he is the most dominating D lineman we've seen maybe since Kennedy Tuli Masiali in terms of talent and potential. But again, you know that is something that has to be exposed. That's something that he has to do on each and every down. And again, I'm not sure of the certainty of his eligibility, but that guy is the guy that can make this defense different. So that defensive line, they do have more numbers. They do have a better inside game, even though they lost Blessman to Allah. They've got some guys in there that can consistently do what they're supposed to do. And I think the defensive ends have gotten better. But again, to me, football all starts up front if they can generate a four-man pass rush, if they can slow down that run and make it easier for linebackers, um, this will be a good defense.
0: And it's interesting. I want to ask you this question, Rich, because we talk so much about a, a defensive line helping a secondary, right? You hear that yes. so much, where a secondary is only as good as the defensive line is able to put a pressure on the quarterback. Now, I want to ask you this question because there's no doubt but anyone that's watches this team practice, that the strength of this team is the back end of the University of Hawaii defense, right? It's your cornerback positions, it's your safeties in this four-two-five, it's the linebackers as well, right? That's the the heart and soul of this football team. Are those players right? Cam Stone, yeah. Verdell Edwards, Meki Pay, Pe, Peter Manoma, Logan Taylor, Isaiah Tufanga. How much do you think? in reverse, they can help this defensive line because a quarterback might have time because the defensive line isn't pressuring them. But if the corners are locking their guys down, if the safeties are doing their job, if the linebackers are doing their job, then that allows the defensive line an additional second to get through in that second effort, right? I mean, do, do you, is yeah. there any truth to yeah. that?
2: No, there's truth to that, Robin. That's where you get coverage sacks, right? And that's where you get quarterbacks you know, even though they get that second look or they're able to reset their feet and their hips and throw from different, there's still, there's guys covered a little bit longer. There's guys that, you know, understand the plastering of receivers when it comes to the scramble drill. There's, you know, guys that come out of coverage because they got secondary contained. There's a lot of good things when you have a good back seven, but, you know, you still have to have that rush. You still have to have that consistency. And again, a guy like to me maybe Anthony Sagopolutelli comes in because he can rush the passer. There's some other guys that are emerging in terms of either they have long levers or they have good motors. They have good athleticism, good hands, good hips, good quickness. So I think this team will generate somewhat of a rush, but Rob, you're right. That back end is going to make it a lot easier for that front end to do their jobs because there will be some coverage sacks.
0: Yeah. Sauce Williams is another guy to keep your eye on a junior college, all American that, had 99 tackles from the nose tackle position last year at the junior college level, which is absolutely insane. RJ, your biggest question on defense?
3: Uh, I think for me, it's just going to be the depth. I mean, you got nine returning starters. That front 11, that first 11, I know that they're going to be confident. I I know that Jacob Euro and this defense is going to be confident when those guys go out there. But one thing we know about the run and shoot is, There's a lot of passing. A lot of passing means quick possessions. If those quick possessions aren't points, and even if they are, there's going to be a lot of guys that you got to rotate in on defense. So, you know, I'm excited that you have the Jonah by wealth. but what happens when Showtime Jones comes in? What happens when Sauce Williams comes in or Jackie Johnson comes in? Or even at that stellar back end, a guy like Matangi Thompson, when he comes in, you know, he had some playing time last year. He's definitely been rotating in this year, but what happens when we don't have have Logan Taylor and Isaiah Tufunga in at the same time? What happens if they're both on the sideline? Then who comes in after that first group that we're very confident about, we're very sure is going to be able to help us. So for me, that's kind of going to be, you know, the biggest question because I know with that run and shoot offense, a lot of quick offensive possessions and you can't just leave that first 11 out there the entire game, especially as you get more into the season and into Mountain West play. So more than those front 11 guys, those first 11 that you're going to put out, what happens when the offensive possessions get quicker and we have to rotate guys in that aren't the guys that we're absolutely sure of? And I think that's going to be a, not only a big question, but a big factor in determining how the season is going to go. If your backup guys are coming in and you're not really losing stride on stopping people on that defensive end, I think that's going to be a, a great plus for this team, especially as they try and learn how to play the run and shoot.
0: And that depth is going to come from different ways. There there are a lot of returnees from this program. 49 letter winners returned for the 2023 season, including 13 starters, four in offense, seven on defense, two on special teams. Uh, But there's been a lot of recruiting going on and and players at the junior college and Division One level that are being inserted into this program and having roles to contribute here in this 2023 season. So we'll see what happens on Saturday against Vanderbilt. Now, with all that being said, whether it's a returnee, whether it's a newcomer, when you look at from the time spring training started, when that completed, then you have the off-season workouts, player run activities, and you have the weight training with Coach Cody Cook, and then you get into training camp, and now it's the week that you leave for Nashville to play against Vanderbilt in Week 0. Who is your MVP of the off season, right? When you look at all the players on this roster, and it could be a coach, it could be a recruiting coordinator, it could be anybody, right? But if you had to just give out an MVP to the off season for this Rainbow Warrior football team, who would that go to, Rich? You know what? You kind of
2: threw me for a little bit of curveball, man. And I and and I might go with Timmy Chang's wife for the sisterhood and the the community service and Gary the- Chang. Jerry, yeah, Sherry Chang and, and, you know, Timmy's involvement in the Alumni Association and all they're doing in recruiting and the community and everything. But but on the field is what I was thinking. So I'm going to, you know, hit you with this. The easy selection for preseason MVP in terms of who's the best football player or the most uh, important, not most important, but the guys would be the MVP. I would easily go with a Tylan Hines. I, I think the kid reminds me a lot, and I hate to throw these superlatives around there of a Chad Owens, of a Devon Bess, or, you know, some of the great players that have come through this program, Diasomy St. Just, whatever it is, you know, guys that can really light it up. But I'm going with Peter Manu Ma. And the reason I'm going with that guy is because, again, I'm going to throw Troy Malo I'm going to throw uh, Talanoa Hufunga. I'm going to throw Leonard Peters out there. Nobody plays with more excitement, more fun, more enthusiasm, and to me, that was what solidified the defense. I can watch that guy. If I had to pay for a ticket, season ticket, which I probably will be paying for soon, as soon as they kick my butt out of, you know, Spectrum, and RJ comes in and takes my place, I'm I'm paying to see Peter Manuma. That's
3: it. Uh, Yeah, uh, Peter Manuma. I'm going to kind of be like, Rich, you know, I was kind of two ways on this because for me, if we're talking about outside, my MVP would be that con- that TC Ching construction team <laughs> yeah. putting that five-foot billboard in there, making See, it look like, back. you know, we got the covered uh, seats going underneath, so now it gives it more of a tunnel entrance feel, and you know how construction in Hawaii go. Let's just be real now. But you know they actually uh definitely did a good job for that. Wait, wait. But for I, me I,
0: I gotta interrupt real quick because I, I just love how I mean you guys are keeping me on my toes, right? Because you're you're answering it right. And it's like Rich, I'm like, oh cool, Thailand. Like it's or Sherry. It's gonna be Sherry. Cool, cool. All right. Oh, oh I see, I see. Segway his way to Thailand. Okay, oh boom. So Thailand's is MVP. And then out of nowhere Peter Mano Ma. I'm like, wait, what? what's going on? I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, no. So uh after, you
3: know, uh Timmy Chang and Tylen Hines and Rob De all get <laughs> first three sets of MVPs, uh I would have to go Logan Taylor. Um I his it's really to me the way he carries himself, the the intensity that he keeps, but also the, the lightness that he keeps. I think he's a leader that these guys are happy to follow. They have no problem following. I think he's a very humble guy and learning from somebody like Chris Brown, who was a beast in his day, played with that passion, and now has the coaching level of it. And this is a guy who led the team in tackles and wasn't a starter week one last season. So, you know, a humble leader that is truly showing, you know, a lot of these defensive guys, how it should be played. And the whole time just maintaining a temperament that is very respectable, very professional. And when he goes out there on the field, he leaves nothing but the best performance he can do. So for me, I'm excited to see what Logan Taylor is going to do with an entire football season in front of him. But for me, that's going to be the offseason MVP of just continuing to be the leader that he is.
0: You know, it's interesting, too, because I remember the very last episode of and the elephant in the room, too, right, is, uh, you know, for so many years, we've been doing Bo's football Final. Of course, you notice it's Hawaii football final. A little bit of a name change, but you know the podcast remains the same. We still got the triple R in effect over here. R J, Rich, and Rob, right? Um, but in the very last episode of last season, Rich was saying that, like, hey, if 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 I'm you, if I'm the the guy in charge of UH. I'm naming Logan Taylor a captain right now. Logan Taylor needs to be the most important person in that locker room and in that off moving forward. And so, uh, R.J., you picked up on what Rich was throwing out last season, and Rich forgot that he said that because apparently named somebody else's. Is that MVP in the off season? Uh, no, but 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 hey, hey hear me out. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just RJ, giving you a hard time, RJ, brother. Uh,
2: hey, use some knowledge, and I and I appreciate R.J. because. You know what? He's spot on. Logan Taylor's the leader of this defense. He's the leader of this football team. I love that guy, bro, because he brought the wood last year, and I thought he was average as the day was long athletically. Chris Brown, as RJ mentioned, brought out the beast in that kid. And you know what? I could follow Logan Taylor. So that shows me he does have the leadership MVP type of qualities. But again, bro, you're talking about a safety, bro, When you're just talking about Leonard yeah. Peters, Talanoa Alfunga, and Troy Palm. I'm excited I'll about now. long hair coming out of the back of the helmet. Tell them,
3: tell them.
0: You know, it, it 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 goes to show that um, it's come. This uh football team is coming off of a three and ten season, but there are some special talents on this team, and and whether it's athletically, whether it's a talent as a leader, I mean, this is just a special group to be around and to watch develop. And so if you're a Rainbow Warrior football fan, which you would have to be listening to this show because we're about like 40 minutes in. And if you're not a UH fan and you've been listening to us, <laughs> and you, you have some problems, I'll tell you what. But uh, this is a very interesting team. I'm very intrigued by the, what would you call the starring cast or the main characters of this football team for sure. And uh, one guy I want to throw in there as, as my MVP, and, and I should say this is that, Moving forward, uh, every episode of Hawaii Football Final, we're going to give out pride stickers, uh, pretty much just acknowledgement to uh, a player or a person, uh, part of the University of Hawaii football team for that week. And we'll use this segment as that pride sticker um, because uh, MVP of the offseason definitely uh, lines that up in that that category. Uh, And and I'm going to throw one guy in there. C.J. Williams, who is a transfer to the University of Hawaii football program. It looks like he's going to be the nickelback, I would imagine, for this Rainbow Warrior football team. Played two seasons at Shasta College in Redding, California, before coming to the University of Hawaii in this past offseason. He was a first-team all-region by the California Community College Football Coaches Association as a sophomore in 2022. He had 30 tackles three tackles for loss, two picks. But uh, when doing some research of that program that he played for, is uh, people just avoided him like the plague. They did not want any part of C.J. Williams. And when he came into this training camp, that guy is having, I might say, the best training camp of any player on the University of Hawaii as far as, you know, He because he starts as an unknown. And so where, where he grows to, I think, is a big... Uh, a big growth because you didn't know what you're getting out of it. Right. As opposed to like a Talon Hines and a Peter Manoma, who you knew who you knew what you're getting out of them. And let's see how much they improved. But CJ Williams is big for this football team because we talked about that back seven of this UH football team being the heart and soul. Now, if you couldn't find a nickelback to replace Malik Hausman who left the program last year, then you might be in trouble because then you might have to move Cam Stone from cornerback to nickel. You might have to move Mechie Pay from safety to nickel. And then you're not as as uh, deep as you would have been in other, otherwise if you didn't get that nickelback position filled, right? And so C.J. Williams being able to slide in and fill that void and being able to keep the players on the defense in their respective positions where they should be, I think will be huge for this football team. So CJ Williams, number nine on defense, that is a player to keep your eye on in this game against Vanderbilt. It reminds me a lot, and, and I'm like you, Rich, right? you hate to reference a great uh, when talking about a player that hasn't yet proved themselves because, you know, the, the expectations sometimes become unrealistic. But I remember when Ryan Mouton joined the program, right? He's a corner by trade, But because when you joined the program, you had your cornerback position, you had your safety position. So we started as a nickelback right in that Sugar Bowl season, uh, had the game ceiling pick against Washington that sent the University of Hawaii to the Sugar Bowl. So I think C.J. Williams, a very similar situation where he comes in and right away able to fill that void uh, in that nickelback position.
2: Hey, hey, Rob, I, I mean, R.J., I don't want to patronize Rob here, but what other sportscasters in America have that depth, that knowledge, you know, and go oh with God. the unknown as the MVP? I just love hearing Rob's take on things. And then, you know, he, he actually, the nickelback has to be able to blitz. He has to be able to tackle on the open field. He has to cover the most dangerous receiver who has a two-way go. So Rob has some knowledge, bro. I got uh, to watch this guy a little bit more because when Rob DeMello says something like that, don't take it with a grain of salt, bro. It could be <laughs> a, the guy that makes a difference.
0: Oh, and, God, bro, I'm like turning red over here, bro. You know I can't uh, handle these compliments. No. <laughs> hey, I see Sam Spangler showed
3: me this trick Rob could do with knowing all the mascots of every university. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. it's The knowledge is so crazy. <laughs> it's deep. Because I was going to say the same thing, you know, right before you did, Rich, that Nickelback has to be versatile. So yeah. it's not like you just put any guy in at nickelback. He has to be able to do a little bit of everything: play in the box, out the box, cover, blitz, pass rush, tackle, pretty much everything that you do on defense. So, um, yeah, no, that that was definitely a good. Not, pick not only
2: that, he's, he he came he, he, he came with. Was- yeah, he came with some knowledge too of Ryan Muton, and I'm going like, Rob has history.
3: Rob has a memory.
0: All I right, still, guys. Okay, I, we're I still good. Better <laughs> Rob, you I'm better gonna... remember who podcast this is. <laughs> This ain't our All podcast. right.
3: We just Moving visitors. on,
0: fellas. Moving on. All right. So th- this is the last, the, our last order of business here in this first episode of Hawaii football final, because obviously when we get back to this thing next week, a game would have been played and we could really dive in as far as, okay, what did we see here out of this football team, whether it's a win, a loss or whatever it is. Right. And, and so the last order of business is kind of the big picture. When you look at this university of Hawaii football team, what is the floor what is the ceiling? Meaning, with what you know about this football team, with the roster, with the coaching, and everything that you've been able to put together here from the ending of 2022 season to the start of the 2023 season, how, is, how good can this team be? And at the same time, how bad, Can this team be right? And, you know, and that's a scary thought at times, but let's just real quickly go over the schedule and I don't want to go game by game and uh, they win this and they lose this and they win this, you know, but kind of just anyone listening, just kind of, you know, remember these games and think about it as I go along and Rich and RJ, you could do the same. And and then we'll kind of just answer that question of the floor and the ceiling for this UH football team. And so, of course, the season starts August 26th at Vanderbilt. Then the Rainbow Warriors return home for a short week to face Stanford on Friday, September 1st, a 5 p.m. kickoff at Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex, another nationally televised game, the first one against Vandy, SEC Network, this game against Stanford, the CBS Sports Network. Then, eight days later, you're going to take on Albany facing an FCS opponent at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. That will be the debut for Spectrum Sports, which RJ, Rich, and myself were all a part of, along with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley, Stephen Sai, all of our good friends, Kabika Hallams. Um, so those are the first three games. Two Power Five opponents and an FCS opponent. Then you got to go up and take on Oregon on the road on the Pac-12 network that is at Odson Stadium against the Mighty Ducks. Then... September 23rd, Saturday, New Mexico State. That is at home at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. And then you get into Mountain West Conference play. UNLV on September 30th on the road. At home against San Diego State. On the road at New Mexico. At home against San Jose State. At Nevada. Taking on Air Force at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Then final road game of the season at Wyoming. And then closing it all out against Colorado State. It should be noted that the University of Hawaii does avoid the two teams that are viewed as the best two teams in the Mountain West Conference here in the 2023 season, at least as far as preseason goes, and that is Boise State and Fresno State. So that is key, that Hawaii does not play those two teams. With that being said, as you heard the schedule, that's no moonwalk either. And so, Rich, um, what's the floor... What's the ceiling for this UH football team from what you know at this point? And obviously, we're all going to get proven wrong one way or the other, but just preseason look, floor and ceiling for UH. Yeah, I'm going – I definitely think the floor is
2: rising, so to speak, and I'm going to go five and eight. Uh, The ceiling, we don't know what that is, and I'm going to go eight and five. Anywhere in between that I think is a success – Um, anywhere above the eight and fives, I think a phenomenal coach of the year potential for Timmy Chang. If it's below the floor at five and eight, you know, I think people are going to be disappointed, but I I do think, you know, in June Jones and a lot of other coaches, Dick Tomey and Bob Wagner, a lot of people used to break things up by, you know, whether it was one thirds, one quarters, whatever else. Let's look at those first four games real quickly. If they can be two and two, that's phenomenal. Most likely they will be one and three, but I don't want people to get down on this football team. And I most importantly, don't want them to get down on themselves, both physically and mentally. They could get hurt. This is a very tough schedule to start with. I would fire the AD if I knew who scheduled these games in this particular order, but at the same time, Hawaii wants to see Michael Jackson. They're going to be able to see Michael Jackson with Stanford, Vanderbilt, and uh, Oregon in three yeah. out of the first four games. So let's do this.
0: All right, I you know I like that, and and that's interesting that that the floor would be five and eight because I think that does say a lot about what this program has done to this point. Because I think if I asked you this same question last year, Rich, and we may have three, talked Eddie, about this. Maybe three. Yeah, is three or four would probably be, yes. um, um, you know, as far as uh, you know, the, the the floor, probably even lower than that. Because this was a team that was losing 19 yeah, starters, you're right. right? The floor might have been two. Yeah, exactly. And so just, just saying that, that you think that the worst this team might do is five-win season, just being two wins away from a bowl game, I mean, heck, if you're a UH fan, obviously you want to see a winning season. You want to see a bowl game. You want to see championship contention. But I don't think it's out of the stretch of imagination that if you poll UH football fans and said, like, okay, if year one of Timmy Chang is three wins, year two is five, with the intention and the hope that year three is seven or more, right, you might take that. Right. And so
2: especially especially, Rob, if they're educated, and they understand what the rebuild was. And I, I want to assure people out there that Timmy Chang's doing a great job and
3: uh, I'm so proud of him. And we got all rally behind him.
0: All right. R.J. Hollis, uh, floor and ceiling for this Rainbow Warrior team.
3: So mine's is going to be a little different. When I did this, I kind of like I was a pessimist during the floor and an optimist during the ceiling. So I'm going to actually say two and eleven. Uh, as the floor. This is the Mountain West, so let's not get it twisted like even if you're facing a team like New Mexico that you can't go out there and something bad could happen. So it's a very competitive group of five conference. You obviously got that gauntlet of going to Nashville, uh, facing off of SEC, going to face Oregon at Oregon, facing Stanford, even though that's at home. So I think that would, you know, kind of just looking at it of, everything that could go wrong does go wrong, then you're looking at a two-win team. Now, for the ceiling, I'm going to also do 8-5, and maybe even 9-4, and because like I said, when I'm doing that, I'm being more optimistic. Now, you do get some tough games, but you get a lot of breaks with those tough games being at home. San Diego State is at home. That's always a tough opponent. You get Air Force at home. That's always a tough opponent. You get one of the better quarterbacks in the Mountain West Shevin Cordero, who was a former University of Hawaii quarterback, maybe the emotions play into it, maybe something happens, maybe you know, it goes the right way and that game's a win. Then you obviously have like the Nevada's, the Colorado State's, the New Mexico, the the Albany games that should be very winnable. So if everything's going right, that's four wins off the top right there. So, you know, 8 and 5, 9 and 4 would be absolutely spectacular. But for me, I think that's the ceiling, especially if that defense plays up to its potential. And then the offense gets humming with the run and shoot, because as we all know, even in the short two years I've seen it live, once that run and shoot is going, it is almost impossible to stop.
2: Hey, hey Rob, can we play that tape back? Because I think RJ said one of the better quarterbacks in the Mountain West is Shevin Cadero. I'm a quarterback apologist, but he's the best quarterback in this league.
0: Yeah. And anyone who's been listening to this podcast over the years, we know this, Rich. We know. Yeah, no, we know like where this. you lie on this. And, he, and you've been saying it from the beginning. To, yeah, if he
2: went hey, to the no, Hey, me and Rob used to get into arguments about who's better than Nick Herbig and Jordan Bertello, and They're both great. But, you know, Rob DeMello knows his football, too. So, I think, Rob, you with me on the Chevin Cordero being the best quarterback in the league? Or are you with RJ, one of the better quarterbacks?
0: Oh, no. I mean, I, I definitely think Chevin Cordero is the best quarterback in the Mountain West Conference. Now, is he on the best team? I don't think so. Is, is he going to have the best numbers, so to say? Maybe not. But uh, definitely, Chevin uh, Cordero has proven it. I mean, he's proven it time and time again that, uh, that well, he's I'm no saying. joke, and, and I, yeah, I would put him as the best quarterback in the Mountain West Conference, and to kind of round things up, uh, I love what each of you said, and it makes complete sense, and you know, when I kind of look at floor and ceiling, because you know, obviously, the floor is zero, right? The ceiling is 13, yeah. you know, but for argument's sake is where we're putting this, and I think that whether it's intentional or not, I think that what we tend to do with a question like this is you put the floor at, this is the number that if it's not here or better university of Hawaii fans would be disappointed, right? That would be a disappointing season is where you kind of put the floor. And and so I'm going to put the floor at five wins because like you said, rich um it, If it is four wins, if it is three wins, if it is two, it is one, if it is zero, that's going to be a disappointment. People will be disappointed. People will see that even though it's an improvement from three and 10, that it's not enough of an improvement and uh, there will be frustration settling in. And then heading into year three of the Timmy Chang era, there will be frustration as far as, is this the guy, right? Coming from the fan base. And so that's where the floor is for me. Like this This is a program that must win five games in order to continue the trajectory of improving this football team. And and then when you look at the ceiling, uh, I think realistically, eight wins is the ceiling. um, Because when you look at the schedule, the way I kind of look at it is how many of these games that before the game is played, the other team is just a better football team. Now, anything can happen in the game of football, right? And, and yeah. you can win a game. You can create turnovers. You can play better. You can outcoach someone. But when you match these teams up, I think Vanderbilt, Stanford, Oregon, San Diego State, Air Force. I think there's only five teams. Or it's, uh, did I say San Jose State? No, I said San Diego State, so it's six. Six teams will enter the game already having a better roster. In the university of hawaii does that mean an automatic win no of course but it just means that 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 team on paper is better and so six games already uh will be the underdog right but that leaves seven games that either it's a coin flip or hawaii will be favored and you got to win those games you have to win those games and and so if you lose to all the teams you're quote unquote supposed to lose to but you beat the teams that either you should beat or you're on an evil even level with like a Wyoming or Colorado State, I think are teams that you could put in that category. Um if you win those then you're seven and six. You're going to a bowl game. Um and so I tack on just one more as far as maybe you could turn one of those five into a dub and then that gives you eight wins. So in my opinion, yeah, five losses at the bottom, eight wins at the top. And we'll see how this thing unfolds. But with all that being said, before we say aloha here on the first episode of Hawaii Football Final, overall vibe, guys, wh- You know, whether it comes from the fan base, whether it comes from the team, yourself personally, what's your vibe for this season? Knowing it, it is an interesting time with what we're going on with here. And everyone's living through this in different ways as far as the tragedies on Maui. And, it, and um, there is a different bit of a feel in the air. Uh, because there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of heartbreak, um, for lack of a better term, depression for what is going on and what we have had seen happen to many of our brothers and sisters here in the islands. Um, but with that being said, the vibe of this UH football season, are you feeling it? Are you feeling it, Rich? Yeah, I, I really am, Rob. I'm feeling the alumni. I'm feeling the community stuff.
2: I'm feeling the sisterhood. I'm feeling the, you know, social media, I'm feeling the new stadium as RJ talked about so eloquently. I'm feeling this season, bro. And that's why, like you said, if they don't win five games, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed. You know, we'll have to evaluate it. But I do really feel deep in my heart that this program is heading in the right direction but we all got to continue to support this program no matter what happens this year. Cause people don't know about that rebuild, how deep it was, but I feel they're better athletes. I like this coaching staff. I like the direction and I, hopefully the new AD is going to go out there and raise some money and build some facilities and, and turn this into a, a real division one football program, but I, I'm feeling pretty good about it.
3: Uh, yeah. I'm I'm going to be right there with Rich. I'm I'm feeling good about it too. I think there's a, sense of optimism but humble optimism they know they need to get better they know they need to work but I think when they look around at each other in the locker room when you know guys like Logan Taylor and Isaiah Tufunga look at what they got to work with when you see you know some of the wide receivers you got some of the offensive linemen you got working with guys like Timmy Chang and I mean it's one thing to just say he's your coach and he's a record setter but I can only imagine the actual feeling to be getting coached by a guy who set the NCAA record in passing in so many different categories. So, you know, I think there is an excitement. I think with the new stadium getting in that 75 foot big screen coming out, the noise you're going to hear and Mo'ili'ili and Manoa and, you know, just the, the uh, prospect of continuing to build this university of Hawaii football program and possibly getting something more permanent on TC Ching. I think, These are all exciting prospects. There's been a lot of pickup with the alumni. I've actually been reached out or people have tried to contact me, you know, a lot more than normal as far as alumni and getting together and doing things like that. So I think there's definitely a feel of uh, of a turning the tide, but I think it's not just a turning the tide of, you know, social media feel or they canceled or they ended spring ball early so they could get to work early. So I don't think this team is trying to show up and be on rebuild mode. I don't think this team is trying to show up and aim for five wins. I think these guys are quietly talking about getting into a bowl game and potentially being one of the better and more upsetting teams of the year and in the Mountain West.
0: All right, boys, let's go. I mean, I'll tell you what, I was excited for the season, but getting all of us together here on Hawaii Football Final... (laughs) I'm ready now, man. I'm ready to get this thing going, and we're all excited. Saturday, August 26th, 1.30 p.m. Hawaii time. The University of Hawaii will take on Vanderbilt. That game will be televised on the SEC network. You can catch it on the radio on ESPN Honolulu. And, of course, coverage all week long leading up to the game, during the game, after the game at khon2.com, 2 sportscast on the KHON2 news so stay with KHON2 on air and online for continuing coverage and you know what, next Monday we'll be right here, same place same time, 8.08am Hawaii Standard Time at KHON2.com or anywhere you download podcasts for Rich Miano, for RJ Hollis I'm Rob Demello. much mahalo for coming back for another season here on Hawaii Football Final, we'll catch you next time, aloha